0: Byron. One of the first scriptures <clears throat> about overcoming was spoken by Jesus in John 16:33. If you're writing notes, write that one down. It's a good one. <laughs> John 16:33. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he looks at his disciples and he said, "These things, I have spoken unto you that in me you may have peace." in this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world there several truths that ought to encourage us today one of those truths is we've studied different people in the Bible and how they overcame is that we ought to be encouraged today whatever we're going through um, everyone in the Bible had something to overcome Amen? (laughs) If you got something today, you're in a a good club today. Because we all have something to overcome, and it may look different, but I think there are connecting points with the people that we encounter in the Bible. The other great truth, beautiful truth, is that whatever it was that they had to overcome, Jesus had the power to overcome it. And when we look at their stories... uh, you know, I've said this, that there are three things that emerge from their stories. The stories of the overcomers and the stories I believe they will tell in, in testimony time in heaven. The three things are they had to overcome were past failures, character flaws, and also challenging circumstances. Past failures, character flaws... Challenging circumstances. Different stories. Different aspects of those. But those are the things that I... When I looked at the characters of the, of the New Testament, I should say, that, um, that emerged to me. Jesus has the power to overcome it all. Uh, he has the power to overcome our past failures. Uh, and one of the things I, I noticed is that when Jesus gives the victory, it projects into eternity. And that's something I I, I want you to kind of think about. So as we continue to look at these stories, there's kind of different aspects and angles of this that we're looking at. And one of the things that struck me this week as I studied is that the victory that Jesus gives projects into eternity. And many times, it's not a victory we see in this world. It's only a victory we see in eternity. But his, his victory projects into eternity. It is through his power, that he for, through his blood, that he forgives us of our past failures. And when you project that into eternity, what you realize is that someday, and only someday, will we come to the place where we realize the fullness of Jesus' forgiveness for our sins. And the way it's portrayed in the book of Revelation is that when we get to eternity the saints who have been redeemed by his blood will be wearing white robes that's the picture that the book of Revelation gives of how the forgiveness of our sins projects into eternity the character flaws Jesus has the power through his spirit to transform our character flaws and. It's not in Revelation, but it's in uh, 1 John 3, 2 or 3, somewhere along in there. Uh, When you, you take us and our character flaws and Jesus comes to transform us, we know that that work is not complete until we get to eternity. But this is what John says, who wrote Revelation, if you need a connection there. We will see him as he is. And when we see him as he is... I'm I'm butchering this scripture. We do not know what we will be, but we will be like him. So you'll take this very flawed individual like Daryl Smith, and you'll do everything you can in whatever time I have in this world. And then finally Jesus said, we're just going to have to finish this up in eternity. And even someday I will look like Jesus. Amen? That's the way our character flaws and the transformation of the spirit projects into eternity. But today I wanted, I wanted to tell another story about challenging circumstances. We're back to that. We're kind of rotating through these three uh, this summer. The power of Jesus elevates us above our challenging circumstances whatever those are. And when you project it into eternity Yes, there are some victories in this this earth. And there are times that the very presence and the power of Jesus comes and we win a battle in this earthly realm. But what the Bible says when you project that into eternity, you got to get this, someday, someday into eternity, For those who have overcome challenging circumstances and they have been faithful to Christ, he will reward them with a crown. That's that's the picture in eternity. When you project out challenging circumstances in this life, there will be some victories, but ultimately know that someday... Those who have been faithful to the cause of Christ and have been true in their faith to Him will be rewarded with the victor's crown in eternity. That's what's pictured in the book of Revelation. Now there are a number of sources of challenging circumstances in our lives. They all come from the fact that when sin was injected into the world, that sin corrupted everything. There's several teaching points and things that I want to emphasize when we look at different ones of these. And I want to go ahead and rest here for just a minute so that you understand. When sin entered the world, sin corrupted everything. The natural world was corrupted. And quite honestly, it can be one of the sources of challenging circumstances. But when sin was injected into the world, sin also corrupted mankind. And sin corrupted mankind on the inside and on the outside. And we talked about some character flaws on the inside last week. But just know that sin also corrupted our outside, our bodies. Before sin entered the world, there was no death, so there was no disease. There was no sickness, there was no illness, there were no viruses. But when sin was injected into the world, uh, illness, cancer, all kinds of diseases came and eventually the result of that is physical death. And sometimes that becomes the source of our challenging circumstance that ultimately will only be overcome in eternity. All of us are appointed to die. But there's something else. When sin was injected into the world and sin corrupted everything, there was a hostile takeover of our world so that there was there was a world system in society that was overtaken by an evil kingdom it was a hostile takeover and where God had reigned and, but sin came in this evil kingdom came and so there is this battle in the world in which we live a battle between light and darkness truth and lies it is the battle between the kingdom of good, and the kingdom of evil. And it is where we live every day. And it becomes a source of challenging circumstances. And this is what I want you to see today. Get this. When we live for the kingdom of good, for God, for truth, for righteousness. There will be opposition from the kingdom of darkness and evil. And sometimes our challenging circumstance stems from the very fact that we have chosen in a world that is ruled by an evil kingdom to live for what is right. The prime example, I should, one of the prime examples in the New Testament comes from the book of Acts and comes from Stephen, not Stephen Gross, Stephen the first deacon, okay. Uh, his story, Stephen's story, and we'll cover it quickly this morning, is included in us, for us in Acts 6 and seven and uh, Stephen is one of the first deacons and that story is introduced let me begin to read in Acts 6 starting in verse 1 now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Notice the qualifications, the characteristics. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Here it is in verse 5 where Stephen is introduced. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose, here's the first name, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Of all the descriptions that Luke could give of Stephen, the first name deacon, was that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This is the description of Stephen and it is it is going to be a theme throughout what we read in the next few moments that is contained for us in Acts 6 and 7. To say that he was a man full of faith means that he trusted God. Now you got to get this in the picture in the context that I've just laid out that what he is saying in a world where we look around and we see so much evil and people not living for God, faith means that I will will live and trust in a God who is unseen in this world. That's what faith is, is believing in the unseen God and committing your life to Him. That is faith. But not only that, he was also a man full of the Holy Spirit. In a world that is permeated by evil and is pushed out the presence of God, the description of Stephen that will be consistent throughout in his story that is told is that the presence of God dwelt, abided in him. And we will see at the end of his story, it is that presence of God, the unseen God, in the midst of a heart of a man, in the midst of a battle in an evil world, that will make all the difference in Stephen's life. If you skip down in the story to verse 8, it says, And Stephen, oh, full of faith, seems to be a theme developing here, That was my, I'm sorry, that was my smart aleck voice. Look, the scripture verifies what it said in verse 5 with verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Oh, but here it comes. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Do you know why? Because Stephen was living for God and the world is opposed to that. There's always going to be a pushback to live a godly life. Verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom, and here it is, and the spirit by which he spoke. I get flashbacks of these scenes in the gospels of Jesus and his confrontation with the religious people of his day, how they could not uh, resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. It's a lot like Jesus, which we'll also see at the end of the story. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council and literally that word, counsel, is the Sanhedrin. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Hmm. Sounds a lot like, like what they days before this they had accused Jesus of. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And I love this statement in verse 15. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Now my mama said I look like an angel too. But that glory was fading early in life. I, I don't know all. I don't even know where that source is. But when the men there, who were not even living for God, looked into the face of Stephen, they saw a reflection of the glory of God. I I don't even know exactly what that looks like. In the midst of an earthly battle between right and wrong, the unseen God's countenance showed up on the face of a man who was willing to stand for God that day. And it's not just that the Christians saw the face of an angel. it was the people that were there to oppose him, that saw the countenance of the glory of God. Now, Stephen uh, speaks in chapter seven. It's one of the longest speeches, sermons in Acts, maybe the longest I'm supposed to know this. Uh, we come to the end to the we don't have time. He recounts the history of Israel. He's going to give us a summation of that. Pick up the story in Acts 751. Uh, this is, this is, a happy, this is his, his ending point. This is going to get some converts, you can guess. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. OK, well, OK, anyhow, OK, that's a little abrasive. Here's his, here, here was his point of all the stories he told. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. His recount of Israel, Israel's history is God has been working in this way. And every time God worked, you pushed back. Because you resist the very presence and the movement of God. And you're doing it today. Wow. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. The very Messiah came, and you killed him. Who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Here's their response in verse 54 When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, which is the same thing it says of those who heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. But notice the reaction here is quite different from that day. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. And a mob scene ensues. Now this is about to to turn ugly. It's one thing to stand for God. It's another thing when your life is on the line. This became a very heated confrontation. But notice, well, and obviously God knows that. Verse 55. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You wonder why Luke records that. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, I believe Luke records that because it's the very key to the story. In the midst of opposition in in the world and your faith is in an unseen God but everything around you says this is really a bad scene. God injects His presence into that. I would contend today it was the very thing that saw Stephen through to death. Because the presence of God in the Holy Spirit was the reminder is this is not the end. There is something beyond this. So that theme, I think this is the last time it says, being full of the Holy Spirit. By the mercy and grace of God, as Stephen surely faced his final moments, the windows of heaven were open. And God, in his grace and mercy in Stephen's life, gives him a window to look into into what is coming moments from this point. It says that he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And then this statement, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. their significance. The Scripture is very clear that Jesus overcame the world and He secured the victory for us. And the Scripture says that He has been seated at the right hand of God. It is the place of honor and victory He had overcome He had persevered to the very end. He was glorified with the seat at the right hand of God. And that's what the Bible says. You can look at it in the book of Revelation and other places. Stephen said when he looked into heaven, he saw Jesus standing. It was the posture to say, not only am I standing in support of you, but I'm standing to receive you. Do you understand? No, his time was close. And he was, his faith was going to come to the point of death. And it was not that he saw the glory of God and Jesus seated, which would have been something. But he saw Jesus standing in support and to receive him to himself. It says in verse 56, and he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh boy, that just infuriated them further. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, which is the same thing they had done to Jesus. They didn't crucify him, but it says, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Oh, we don't have time for that rabbit trail this morning. In verse 59, and they stoned Stephen. As he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I think this... The witness of this event is Saul himself who became the Apostle Paul that says, I was there that day. And as they stoned him and he was in those moments of death, he was praying, he was calling out to God, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The very prayer that Jesus had prayed from the cross, into your hands I commend my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with, their, with their, this sin which is the very words of Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when they nailed him to the cross. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the Christian way in the New Testament saying he physically died, but he's not dead. He's alive, but his body is dead. It's as if he's fallen asleep. It strikes me in the story how many times there are parallels between Stephen and Jesus' own uh, death. My question this morning is, his prayer is, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That was his prayer. (laughs) My question to you, it's a little bit of a thought question, but I think there's a solid answer. Did Jesus answer that prayer that day? oh absolutely Jesus was standing and received him into glory what we see in the life of Stephen is that in the midst of his faith being lived out even to the point of death that Jesus shows up and sees him through genuine faith is demonstrated in faithfulness. It's one thing you say that you trust in a God who is invisible. It's another thing for that faith to be demonstrated and say, whatever the world that is opposed to me comes at me, I will maintain my faith. That's what we describe in English as faithfulness. Regardless of what the world throws at me, the opposition it comes, I will maintain my faith, which is my belief and my trust in an invisible God, that there is something beyond this. But you see, the life lesson that we learn from Stephen, which is an extreme, I don't know that any of us ever in our life are going to come to this point to literally give our life in a mob scene because of our stance for Christ. I don't know. Jesus shows up in a miraculous way, not only in his Holy Spirit to say, Gee-, to, say to Stephen, I'm here, but to open his eyes and the windows of heaven to say, See, I'm waiting. You're coming. And it's okay. I just need you to be faithful to the end. You see, it is through the presence of Jesus that Jesus sees. Stephen through to the very end and answers his prayer and ushers him into glory. And I would say according to the, the words of Jesus himself, it's not just that Jesus saw him into glory and received him into glory. It's not just... And this is really what I want to close with today. It's not just that we get to the other side. Even if the world were to put us to death... It's not just that Jesus receives, but Jesus also rewards. For those who overcome in the presence of Jesus challenging circumstances, Jesus Jesus will reward you with the victor's crown. Jesus says to the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation, this is chapter 2, he says in ver- it says in verse 10, the words of Jesus to the church of Smyrna face in persecution. He says, do not fear any of those things which are about, you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation ten days. Here it is. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then in one of the overcoming verses, he says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I don't know. The irony of the story to me is I believe the promise to Stephen was that if you are faithful to the end, even through death, that I will give you the crown of life. <laughs> Do you know what the name Stephen means? In the Greek, it means crown. And it just seems so I don't know if the word's ironic or appropriate that the first of the martyrs, Stephen, the crown, would have received the victor's crown in eternity. I want us to understand that in the most challenging circumstances it is our faithfulness that glorifies God. Jesus does not fix everything in this world. Not everything is a victory in this world. You could have looked at Stephen's life and you say, Stephen lost that day. The kingdom of God lost that day. And Jesus stands there and says, no, that's not it at all. The victor today, and he would have taken the crown and he would have placed it on Stephen's head that day. You won. You see the victory. We we get this wrong idea. (laughs) For Jesus... Well, Jesus, let's, I was going to say it this way. Jesus is the one who hands out the trophies at the end. And who does the trophy go to? Just to the ones who won the victories on earth? No. Sometimes the greatest crown is for those who went through the worst and remained faithful in challenging circumstances. I think the crown has a little bit more jewels do you get it? Jesus awards the trophies, not the world. Do not judge victories based on an earthly perspective. Judge victories by an eternal perspective and the judge that will make that determination. The other thing I would want you to know is that in the midst of those challenging circumstances, It is the presence of Jesus that sees us through. He doesn't always intervene. He could have intervened that day, but he didn't. Except he intervened in the life and the heart of Stephen to say, I'm going to flood my presence on you, and I'm just going to ask you to be faithful because that's what brings me glory. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand today. Uh, Whether you've joined us live stream today or in person. uh, Whatever you face, Jesus has the power to overcome it. And for some of you, the greatest testimony in eternity will not be that you so much won an earthly victory. But you were faithful. Maybe even to the point of death. So Father, today we thank you for the testimony that we've heard, and we pray that it would encourage us uh, wherever we are, whatever we go through. And that, Father, we give you this time, Father, to, uh, if it's to come to the altar and to lay our own burdens down before you, Father, we give you this time. We surrender our lives to you, and we pray that you would help us to live in the greatest reality that transcends whatever our circumstances say, and that is your eternity and your glory. And so we pray that you'd encourage us today, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.